Welcome to the latest edition of the Mind Gut Conversation podcast, a place to learn about breakthroughs in the science and practice of health, mind-body interactions, the microbiome, food, and the environment. Today, I have the great pleasure to talk to Dr. Miguel Freitas, Vice President of Scientific Affairs at Danone and expert in microbiology, nutrition, and cell biology. Dr. Freitas has had a career-long interest in scientific and practical aspects of the complex interactions between probiotics, the gut, and the microbiota. Through his work at Danone, he has helped the global food and beverage company to translate the growing body of evidence on different probiotic strains into a range of popular consumer products. I need to disclose that I have collaborated with Danone on several scientific projects and publications and have interacted with Dr. Freitas on several scientific advisory boards of Danone. Welcome to the show, Gal. Pleasure talking to you. And uh, I have a list of questions. I wanted to suggest the topics for our conversation. So let me start out with something that, that you're really aware of and, and uh, you know, everybody in this space is aware of. There's so many products on the market related to fermented foods or supplements of probiotics that it's almost impossible for the average consumer to decide which products have a true health benefit. How, how does Danone distinguish itself from competing brands and products? Thank you, Amarin, for uh, inviting me today here for your podcast. It's really a pleasure to talk to you about probiotics and, uh, and about Danone. Uh, you're right. There's, there's a lot of products out there uh, with many different claims. And um, I, I always say that not all probiotics are created equal. And I'm sure you believe in that concept as well. And that, that's really true also for all products. So there's many companies selling products that are not necessarily high in quality and making very various claims that is confusing uh, people that are looking for probiotics. And this is happening both in the food and in the supplement uh, area. And uh, some of those claims, some of those products are not necessarily supported by science or by clinical studies. And uh, the way we distinguish ourselves from uh, competing brands and products is we always go back to the science. So for us, our products have the highest standards and our probiotic products specifically that we commercialize and put on the shelf available to the consumers have been studied uh, in clinical trials, in several clinical trials, depending on the product. Uh, so our science is it's publicly available. It's easy for any consumer to go on a search engine type the name of the product, find the website, type the name of the probiotic strain, and find the clinical studies related to that strain. So it's very transparent. And I don't think every company uh, is as transparent. I think every company should be very transparent with what they put on the shelf and which probiotics they have. Yeah, so... <clears throat> I mean, I'm, I have been aware of this. Um, I should disclose that, uh, you know, I have been on the external advisory board for Danone for quite some time now and um, had a lot of insight into um, the rigor that, that the company is, is, is um, supporting these claims. Um, 
but I mean, just to sort of comparing this again, some products um, of other companies make claims that they improve gut health, sort of a, you know, poorly defined concept, general wellness, uh, digestive wellness. Others make even claims about improving cognitive function or slowing of cognitive decline. <clears throat> What what are the claims that Danone makes for some of their products? And I mean, you mentioned they're backed up by by, by clinical studies, but what would you say are the main claims that Danone makes for their for their different products? Currently, we have two, and we have two main products that uh, that we commercialize as probiotic products, and they're both. Uh, these probiotic claims are both uh, based on scientific studies supporting the benefit, uh, the intended benefit that consumers see. So today we have on one side uh, a product that is very focused on digestive health or gut health, uh, which is called Activia. We have over 20 years of research on Activia um, on many different topics from survivability, of the probiotic strain, which is a bifidobacterium lactis, as well as full characterization of that probiotic strain. And of course, the most important clinical studies uh, in a human population, repeated clinical studies in human population, so showing a benefit to health. And in, in the case of Activia, it's very related to gut health. And what we've been showing is that Activia helps reduce the frequency of minor digestive issues, such as uh, common discomfort, uh, bloating, gas, and rumbling. So that's the first product. Uh, we also have another probiotic product in the United States, which is a little bit less popular here than in Europe, which is called Denactive. And Denactive has a completely different probiotic strain, which is a lactobacillus casei. And in this case, uh, we've done studies both in children uh, adults and the elderly population looking at many aspects of the immune system from so following um, immune modulation um, after certain environmental stresses such as intensive exercise uh, or, um, or other types of stress like cold weather, for example. So that product is marketed as a probiotic drink that helps support the immune system. So those are the two uh, major probiotic products and claims that we do currently uh, in the United States. Activia with gut health and then active uh, helping support the immune system. And if you allow me, I would like to go back to the first question because I think I missed some critical information when it comes to consumer understanding. Uh, we um, did a large consumer study last year with over uh, 100, uh, with over 1,000 people, actually 1,004 people aged 18 or plus. And we asked them um, several questions around their knowledge on probiotics and different aspects of biotics. And um, I was surprised to see there's still a lot of confusion out there, Emran. And just to give you one or two examples, uh, over 50% uh, of people believe that all fermented foods contain probiotics. And as you know, that's not necessarily true because there's a definition for a probiotic. It needs to be a strain that is very well characterized 
and studied in the clinical trials, and most fermented foods are not. Uh, there's another interesting fact that I, I was surprised. 60% uh, of consumers uh, believe that products with a, a higher number of uh, CFU or colony forming units um, is, is more effective as a probiotic versus one that has lower numbers. And I'm sure you've seen on the shelves when you go to a health store, supplements and pills that have 10 billion, 20 billion, 50, 100, 200 billion probiotics in there. And um, that's not necessarily the way to go. The most important thing is to provide to the consumer the amount of probiotics that were studied in the clinical study. So it's not by adding just more and more that you're gonna have a bigger benefit. There's other data that I can also share with you if you're interested, but there's a lot of misconceptions still out there in terms of um, probiotics. I mean, you brought up a very interesting point and you know, I, I find myself um, making this mistake myself often. Um, because I do recommend naturally fermented um, foods to, to my patients, um, the largest variety if possible, uh, that, you know, depending on taste preferences. And, 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 and there has been a recent study um, out of Stanford that uh, suggested or demonstrated that um, an intake of a, a large variety of naturally fermented foods actually had a a greater benefit on the um, diversity of the microbial ecosystem in the in these consumers than um, had one that was optimized for for multiple types of fiber. And so um, just to clarify this, so many of these microorganisms that are in these naturally fermented foods have not been studied. But it's quite possible that if somebody came up with the money to study them in well-designed clinical trials, they would show up as probiotics. Would you agree with that statement? I would agree with that statement if they were studied, uh, characterized, and showed a specific benefit to the host, which is a definition of a probiotic. And I'm very familiar with the with the with the work that you mentioned from Sonnenberg's team. And it's very interesting because what they showed is that um, fermented foods, uh, but in particular uh, yogurt, uh, they had different types of ferment people consuming fermented foods and, uh, and they were able to distinguish between the different types of fermented foods. So the, the, the folks that are consuming yogurt actually had the strongest increase in the diversity of gut microbes and the dec a decrease in molecular signs of inflammation. So the study didn't, didn't go as, uh, as far as describing in detail what type of yogurt these subjects were consuming, if they had specific probiotics or not. Uh, but given that, for example, Activ is a very popular product, so it could have been part of what these subjects were consuming. But in going back to your point about fermented foods containing uh, cultures, life and active cultures uh, that could provide a benefit, I think it's um, easy to understand that 
if you're consuming fermented foods that probably contain a large number of lactobacillus cultures, eventually lactococcus, eventually some bifidobacterium, all of those, when you're ingesting that food, will arrive in your gut and naturally will increase the amount of some of these bacteria in the ecosystem of the gut microbiome and therefore probably increase the diversity of your gut microbiome. Now, do you consider that as a health effect or not? That's a different conversation, right? Yeah. So a product like Activia, which is a fermented product with a specific probiotic, and what we found is that reduces uh, digestive discomfort because of what we've seen in the clinical studies, I'm not sure that we have shown that fermented foods in general could reduce digestive discomfort. So I think there might be a generalized benefit for fermented foods, and that could be just increasing diversity of our gut microbiome. And then there might be specific benefits for specific probiotic strains. Yeah, that's a good point. Um... And obviously, I mean, there's also um, this idea that um, because everybody's gut microbiome uh, is different, or, you know, of many people do not share the same gut microbiome and the same organisms, that um, a given probiotic may have greater benefits in one person compared to another, or may not have the desired benefit in, in, in certain people where it may have the greatest benefits in others. Um, yeah. Is that something that you've seen in your studies that there's a uh, inter-individual variability? Yeah, I don't think we can expect that everybody responds to a, to a treatment. Uh, and I think that's the case for most clinical studies. And that's why we classify subjects into responders and, and non-responders. And, um, even when you're not looking at um, uh, an endpoint such as diversity of the microbiome, I believe that when you're looking at an endpoint like reduction of digestive discomfort, not everybody responds the same way because not everybody starts with the same level of discomfort. So I think that's a natural thing when you're doing research with food because it's, food is very complex and we can't expect that each individual responds the same way to a complex matrix versus a, a very precise target drug molecule um, intended to treat a particular disease where I would expect that in that case, there would be uh, mainly responders to the drug. But even there, uh, there, might, there might not be the case, Emran. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, before we, you know, continue about the, the some of that uh, interesting science around probiotics, um, in your survey or in, in other types of surveys that you, that you have done with consumers, you know, did did you find out so one one could um, one one could assume that for products such as yogurts, drinks, and snacks, that taste may be the most important to the consumer rather than the the scientific evidence for health benefit. So if, if you agree with this, I mean, based on Danone's market research, 
what would you say are the three main criteria that influence a consumer selection of um, a particular probiotic product or probiotics in general? Well, food in general, I would say, food in general, I, I would say taste, number one, health, number two, and then cost, number three. And uh, if you think about a probiotic product, um, I believe we need to distinguish between people that would look for food, probiotic foods and probiotic supplements. So there's not really a taste component in a probiotic supplement if it's a powder or a pill. And we actually, me as a nutrition scientist, I always advocate for foods because of the nutritional package versus just a peel or a powder. But I would say that those three uh, criteria would still be the most important, even in a, in a looking for a probiotic, a probiotic food type. So taste for sure. And Danone was founded, founded uh, over a uh, hundred years ago. And we always been crafting products in a way that, um, at Tasty, uh, we believe that that's the first thing to have people consume them and thinking about children in specific, it even helps more. Um, health, I think health, of course, is, uh, is very important. And I, I see that as a, as a second criteria. I think more and more consumers are seeking for healthier options, healthier alternatives in foods. And we know that two out of three U.S. consumers now look at the packaging information. I have not. I don't know if you've noticed, and if you go to the supermarket, but when I go, I see more and more of people turning the package and look at the nutritional facts panel, uh, because that's where the nutritional information is in a packaged good. I see that happening more and more. So I, I think people are gaining more um, awareness that. Uh, nutrition and health is important. And I think that was also intensified with COVID um, and the fact that they realized that certain foods could help with their immune system and others wouldn't. So they are more and more looking for that health aspect. And then cost, of course, it's very important. I think has always been part of the purchase decision. And at the known, you know, our mission is to bring health through food to as many people as possible. And we have several initiatives um, working with federal programs that um, to make um, nutrition dense products available to the people that need it the most. Uh, the most uh, uh, obvious example is with uh, the Women's Infants and Children Initiative package a week. Uh, where a lot of our products are available to, to those families, including our probiotic products. Okay, so, <clears throat> yeah, so returning, you know, to, to, um, to the evidence that Danone has been accumulating in, in, in support of the, the scientific or the health component of, of, of the products. Um, so, Danone has invested a lot of money into research collaborations with, with academic centers to support some of the claims made for its products, um, putting greater investments than any other company marketing 
probiotics. My own research has been influenced greatly after we completed a brain imaging study sponsored by Danone demonstrating an effect of daily consumption of a consortium of microbes in healthy young women on brain networks involved in the stress response. And I should mention, this was not something that, uh, you know, that I went to, um, to the company and said that I want to do this study. If, if anything, I was skeptical from the beginning, but um, did agree to do it um, on, on our own terms. So meeting all the scientific uh, criteria that, you know, is, are necessary for us to, to do something like that. And we're actually now working on a follow-up study to the original um, Danone has also sponsored, sponsored a research study with Rob Knight's group and the American Gut Project. Can you explain what the main goal and outcomes of this study have been? Sure. Um, I have to say that our commitment to research is, is really part of our heritage. Um, I'm not sure you know, but our first yogurts in uh, 100 years ago, 103 years ago, started to be sold in pharmacies in Spain, in Barcelona, uh, with our founder, Daniel Carrasso, which believed that yogurt could um, be part of uh, uh, an important uh, healthy diet and actually help treat certain uh, intestinal infections uh, of kids living in that uh, kind of post-war um, environment. Uh, and uh, since then, we've committed to research and to innovation, and we're continuing to do so. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that your, your experience uh, um, at UCLA with the known was also uh, motivating. Uh, so regarding uh, the, the recent collaboration we had with uh, Rob Knight's team at UC San Diego and the American Gut Project, it's a very interesting, very interesting uh, uh, project. And the we, we try to highlight and understand how different dietary patterns can affect the diversity of the gut microbiome. So as you know, the American Gut Project have a large database of people that have subscribed and provide samples of their microbiome, but they have also answered very extensive uh, dietary uh, questionnaires, validated dietary questionnaires. Mm -hmm. And some of the key points, the key highlights uh, coming out of that, uh, of that study, um, uh, they found that, for example, a diet that was very low in carbohydrates and consistently, consisting mainly of fats, animal products, and non-starchy vegetables resulted in a lower amount of bifidobacterium in your gut, which is generally considered a type of bacteria that, that, that has a beneficial uh, effect. On the other side, they found that uh, a flexitarian type of approach, which is trending right now, which is basically plant-based offerings, plant-based uh, products, not excluding uh, some amounts of animal proteins, such as meats and uh, dairy products. So a flexitarian approach, the, the, the folks, the, the subjects that consumed a flexitarian diet 
actually had the most diverse microbiome out of the five patterns that were studied, uh, and especially compared to the standard American diet and the vegetarian diet. So apparently, we need a certain amount, according to this study, we need a certain amount even of meat and animal products to feed certain bacteria in our gut that are important for diversity. It's a very interesting study, um, and um, it's, uh, it, was, uh, it was more looking at dietary patterns than individual foods, which I think it's really, um, which I, I think it's really very interesting. Yeah, and these findings really go along with, um, you know, the extensive <clears throat> epidemiological literature on the benefits of something like the traditional Mediterranean diet, which is exactly what you're describing, not totally devoid of, of, of animal protein, but <clears throat> with a predominance of, of, of plant-based components. Um, so I, mean, I, mean, I think there's no, in my opinion, there's no question um, that that is something that our microbes are, um, are best adapted to, 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 to process. And also it's, it's logical that you would get the greatest diversity because you will have specialists that deal with the, with the animal components and other specialists that deal with the, with the plant components. So, which you wouldn't have with a, with a vegan diet. So, you know, thinking, thinking about in which direction this field is moving into um, so as a food company with a particular interest in probiotics, how does Danone Seeds role in the new space of, of gut microbiome science, which is obviously a, a rapidly expanding space and um, with many new uh, breakthroughs still on the way, there's, there's no question that we're only at the beginning of, of this, uh, of the science and the, the full understanding, but how does the known uh, see its role in this in this development? Well, our mission is to bring health through food to as many people as possible, and we're a company that um, focuses very much on uh, fermented products uh, as a big part of our of our business, and within that part of our business, yogurt and fermented foods. We really consider that they are perfect matrix and foods to carry life bacteria. And this life bacteria can ultimately have an impact on different body functions, but also on the gut microbiome. So, of course, as technological advances um, appear, allowing us to better understand these interactions the company became very interested in how our products can impact the microbiome, given that we have life cultures and probiotics in our products. We know that the impact of the gut microbiome on human health is really far reaching from benefits on digestive health uh, to the immune system, uh, playing a key role as an important piece of the mind-body connection, which you know all about it. So I think that it's, it's really a great opportunity, um, and, uh, and I believe the known because of our portfolio, because of our foods, and the fact that they carry life and active bacteria and microbes, 
we really have an important role uh, to play in this new space of the, of the gut microbiome science. Um, and we've been doing that through many different ways, not, on, not only launching products that have uh, probiotics and, and supported by science, but also sponsoring uh, education and, and research uh, on probiotics uh, through many different ways. We have um, every year um, two uh, fellowship grants uh, specifically dedicated to mi microbes, uh, yogurt, probiotics, and the microbiome. And this is really, I'm hoping that this is really sparking younger scientists to continue to explore more around the microbiome. So our role is big in this area. Yeah, so I mean, the question comes up in the future, you know, if you go to, to some meetings where startup companies are, um, are demonstrating their, their breakthroughs in engineering microorganisms, I mean, do you see for a company like Danone ever to incorporate engineered microorganisms into their products, into yogurts? Um, or is that some, on, on the other hand, I personally have seen the, the you know, the biobank that Danone has outside of Paris and the headquarters of, of probably hundreds of different um, beneficial microbes from all over the world from different locations that have not been tested yet, but that could potentially be a huge reservoir for unknown health benefits. But I mean, do you specifically think that genetically engineered microorganisms will make it into our food supply um, in the form of yogurts and, and fermented and, 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 and probiotics? I think it could. It's not necessarily currently the philosophy of, of the known. Um, as you mentioned, we do have uh, an important um, bacterial um, uh, collection over um, thousands, not hundreds of different strains of bacteria uh, that have not been studied or characterized that could be potential probiotics. And the selection for a new probiotic for a particular benefit doesn't have to go through um, genetic engineering. It could go through um, natural selection, for example, based on different uh, pre-screening models, just like you screen molecules as potential drugs in the future. Uh, probiotics can be screened uh, based on different characteristics um, that, could, that could then um, result in a, in a benefit in the future. It's a, it's a long process uh, of research uh, with a particular pipeline. I was involved in that type of research when I was working in the research and development center a few years ago. And um, we have a, a large R&D department that continues to work uh, on uh, on these on these ideas and on selecting new probiotics for different benefits. So I, mean, I don't think it needs to be going through genetical engineering. I think it can go through selection and screening bacteria that are already existing in nature. Certainly, a much lower hurdle in terms of public acceptance. I, I think it could be a huge 
unless it's done for specific medical purposes, a specific disease that people would be willing to consume genetically engineered microbial organisms that we don't really know what other effects they have on 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 the ecosystem in our gut. So I I think the this this organic approach, you know, testing this wide reservoir of of compounds or of organisms that you already have uh, seems to be a a much more prudent way of doing it, at least for the foreseeable future. Another comment that often is brought up um, when, so this has happened a lot in the in the, in, in the past. So when I, you know, mentioned <clears throat> to to colleagues or, or to consumers that uh, we have done the study with with Danone about the potential effects on on brain functions, then this comment came up: is Oh, Danone is is the company that makes all these sugary uh, products, and this sort of touches on this topic that there's a growing movement against ultra-processed foods, often with high amounts of sugar, emulsifiers, addition of ingredients that increase shelf life, flavor, sweetness, and so forth. Um, do, do, does any of the, the known products fall into this category of ultra-processed foods? And this is obviously beyond most foods that we consume today are processed in some way or another, as is just yogurt in general. But what about this ultra-processed food category? I'm guessing you're referring to the Nova system, which is the only system that is uh, differentiating ultra-processed from processed to the best of my knowledge. Um, I've studied food engineering and food science, and I, I believe that quality, safety, shelf life, are very important and critical characteristics of any packaged foods. And that's really the way um, we're able to put and provide food for, for the world um, in, in distant locations and so forth. So to me, processing is essential um, when we're doing uh, packaged foods and when we can't just eat produce. Uh, and pick an apple out of the tree, right? Even there, uh, Amran, sometimes there's a, a level of, of processing um, if something was given to the tree, right? Uh, but it's true that uh, the known creates processed foods, packaged foods. Uh, but I think most importantly is not to focus so much on the fact that is processed or ultra-processed, uh, but um, focused on the fact that some of these foods are actually providing health benefits and are nutrient dense. So it's not a little bit of added sugar or had adding a stabilizer that makes the food last a little bit longer in the refrigerator and you don't have to discard it and increase your waste, your food waste uh, amount. Uh, in order to continue to be able to eat that nutrient-dense and health-promoting foods. I think that's much more um, important. So the, the conversation between processed, ultra-processed foods and nutrient density needs to be balanced. And that's not necessarily happen um, with the experts that are um, uh, pushing forward some of these concepts of uh, processing. 
you know, bread is a processed food, wine is processed food, a yogurt is a processed food. Most of the food we eat is processed, right? Yep, yep. Even at home, you can add more sugar at home <laughs> on, uh, on the foods than, uh, and process it than, uh, than if you would get it um, in, a, in, a, in a supermarket. Uh, where the food was uh, particularly made in a way that tastes better and has less amount of sugar than what you would have at home. So this conversation needs to be more balanced. That's my um, point of view here. Okay. Well, let's come to the last um, point of our conversation. This has to do with the One Health concept. <clears throat> there several important aspects of Danone's mission that um, many, maybe most consumers are not aware of what, what that makes Danone stand out and the leader amongst food companies worldwide. It's um, this One Health concept and the, um, the B Corp certification. So probably a lot of people have not heard about either one of these. And can you briefly explain these concepts and, and why Danone has made them a key aspect uh, of their corporate mission. Sure. So let's start with the B Corps, the known um, and the known North America, which is our business in North America, US and Canada, is uh, we're very proud to be a certified B Corp. So the whole company is a certified B Corp and certified B Corps um, use the simplest way of explaining is that we use the power of our business uh, to drive social and environmental change. So it's not just uh, uh, thinking about um, shareholders, but we're also thinking about other aspects of our business, um, including the planet, our employees, benefits, and so forth. So the certification um, is done by a nonprofit uh, organization called uh, the B-Lab. And what they do is that they monitor how our practices impact different parts of our business, including our employees, our communities, the environment, um, so that we can really embrace our future as one, uh, united the known that really inspires to, to be known for making more of a positive change and to build a healthier world. Uh, the concept of uh, One Health goes along with One Planet. So we, that's really One Planet, One Health. It's reflecting um, our vision, the known's vision that the health of the people and the health of the planet are very much interconnected. So we believe in a healthy, sustainable diet such as the flexitarian diet that we uh, talked about previously. And we believe that the breast approach is to both being able to impact and benefit the health of the people and the health of the planet. So that's why we operate under this vision of one planet, one health. Yeah, thanks, Miguel. I mean, um, I personally have been particularly impressed with that uh, with that last topic that you just mentioned, and um, you know, have seen many examples um, where, where Danone has put this um, 
put this into uh, into reality, not just talk about it or marketing claims or, or greenwashing, but uh, so anyway, I'd like to thank you for this inspiring interview. Um, I hope it doesn't come across as me being um, totally endorsing Danone as a company. It's, uh, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm very careful which companies I support or which companies that I, um, you know, like to highlight and the certain criteria certainly the ones that we talked about during this conversation fall into this in, into this category. So thanks again, and um, we'll we'll continue this uh, dialogue in the future. Thank you, Ramon. I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. I hope this was informative for your audience uh, on how to pick the best probiotic on the shelf. At least uh, I hope I was able to give them some tips. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.